0: Hey everyone, welcome to Neighbor Science, the only podcast about political economy and anime. I'm Ryan, and today I have my friend Mouse. Hi! Hey
1: Mouse. Yeah, what's up? Well, I know what's up. We've been talking this whole time. <laughs> yeah, um, Yeah. Like, like I was saying, because I'm just going to launch into it, I think one of the main things that people uh, tend to shit on Marx for is, is uh, I, I do actually think a little bit baseless, because it's just like, He's been a part of the established canon for so long that, like, you can find modern writers who are way more concise in making the same points that he makes. And, like, that does, that definitely does make him irrelevant, but, like, it's not, it's also not his fault uh, that he wrote stuff that people wanted to write about. Um, Yeah.
0: Yeah, so just to intro a little bit more, um, I, I put up a poll the other day asking if I should do this, and it was, like, an overwhelming yes. So... I'm going to start uh, talking about Marx's capital on the show. So in the regular episodes, uh, I'm I'm going to do it just as like a, a segment of the show. Uh, although today, I don't really have anything else to talk about. So it'll just be mm-hmm. the whole thing for today. This will probably be a pretty short episode, I think.
1: Um, yeah. So I yeah, need to... Uh... I need to watch Giant Gorg too, or whatever. Is it Gorg or Jorg? Uh, Gorg, Gorg, yeah. Okay, okay,
0: yeah. Golgu, um, yeah. Golgu. I need to, I need to finish it, and um, yeah. But uh, anyway, so first, you know what? Let's let's get this out of the way. Uh, people wanted me to talk about this on the show. Uh, the one of the reasons I started reading it is because I th- saw some thread. Someone just linked it in one of my group DMs and someone was saying something about jargon and talking about political economy. And uh, all I said was like, I think political economy is a good example of where like there's too much jargon and it makes it kind of like obscure and like too difficult for like normal people who don't care about this shit to like understand. And the examples I gave were like, I said bourgeoisie in parentheses upper class, um, exchange value in parentheses price, and then something else. And like, a bunch of Marxists got really mad at me for that tweet. Like, they're still getting mad at me. Uh, One of them quote tweeted me last night and and was like talking about how his friend fucking destroyed me with logic. Eventually I decided I would just fuck with them. So... (laughs) I tweeted, uh, Marxist hate, uh, that I used to be in the CIA, uh, like I, I'm a worker just like everyone else is or something like that. And, uh, mm-hmm. it ended up getting seen by like 3000 people. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. Like someone, someone screenshotted it and the, their tweet got, uh, like 3,200 likes and there were people quote tweeting me for like three days uh that just completely fell for it um and uh, i don't know it was just a really funny reaction i think
1: yeah the, the level of gullibility is uh just kind of fucking hilarious because i mean like yeah. even even if you're even like put, putting myself in the shoes of a marxist and like thinking that the cia is some sort of weird cartoon villain rather than like a complex entity of like individuals who have motivations um mm-hmm like why would a CIA operative come out and be like yes I'm in the CIA like that's if their whole bit is that like we're we're secretly being paid by the CIA as anarchists like why would we just broadcast that that doesn't make any sense to me you know
0: yeah it, it's really just like they they just think that everyone who's an anarchist is like pro CIA like yeah. whether whether like they actually are or they're just like stooges of the cia because you know they don't think that um what's his fuck is is good uh mm-hmm. god who am i who am i trying to think of the syria guy
1: oh fuck fuck if i know i don't i don't know geopolitics uh, you're asking the, the least uh, educated person you know ryan <laughs> Damn, about... like a dumbass.
0: it's not erdogan <laughs> foreign it's, <politics>. uh... <laughs> oh assad are you talking about assad, assad yes assad, yes okay
1: Yes, yeah, they're really into Assad a lot of them. Um Yeah.
0: Yeah, it was, yeah. So it was all the Assad people. A there was a lot of overlap with uh the people that are like kind of like reactionary marxists, so they like they hate trans people and they hate sex workers and all that stuff. Oh, yeah. I saw a lot of that.
1: Yeah, well, and that's what it was. Like I mean, a lot of um I I don't personally make this distinction, but a lot of um and comps that i know in particular make the distinction between like an ml and a tanky and like a tanky yeah. is the guy who's like a swerf and like a dictatorship apologist you know kind of mm-hmm. thing and like you definitely if we're going by that distinction we're getting purely tankies like i mean you had those guys who were like using whatever that right wing dog whistle is the the glow up thing or whatever to to yeah, basically call dark. you the n-word yeah right
0: yeah, they kept uh, they kept is... calling me glow in the dark, which uh yeah. I was like, What what the fuck is this? Is this like some weird like pro genocide meme that I haven't heard of yet? And uh PG someone is. in the chat Look looked, looked it up. And it was like from a it was a reference to a short story where they were they like gave like the CIA gave people like mutations that made them glow and they called them like glow in the dark n words. Yeah. So it's like yeah.
1: so you're calling me a glow in the dark n word. Okay. Yeah, right. Like, okay, we know where your your tendencies lie. And that, that's the other yeah. thing that really floors me is like, I would almost kind of expect like, like, uh, the CIA or worker's take to me actually sounds like either a Marxist take like a reactionary Marxist take or like a weird mm. bread and roses take like that. Those would be the, the crowds that I would expect that to come from. So the fact that like, they're the ones that reacted so like, you know, virulently to it was mm. kind of surprising cuz yeah. like that that totally is is like the kind of thing i've heard from like weird like pro america tankies who are a really really like finite crowd obviously there are not many right. of them but like they do exist where they're like no we should make america a worker state and that's why the the american police are good we're just not using them correctly or whatever and so like i i get that um yeah Plus, that's like, just the
0: whole the yeah. whole joke was that the the marxist theory of class is you are bourgeoisie if you own the means of production and you're a proletariat if you don't own the means of production mm-hmm. that's it because i i yeah. even quoted some of the replies uh who took oh, yeah. who were like completely credulous and was like yeah uh cia agents don't own the means of production so therefore they're for their workers mm-hmm. and uh yeah they just went crazy over that the yeah, only, the only thing they nice. have the only thing they have to um, to make CIA agents like not workers is calling them class traitors. Mm-hmm. So they are actually admitting they are actually admitting that they are a proletariat. It's just that they're they're traitors to the
1: proletariat. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. And so, I mean, like, that's that's where it falls apart. Yeah, um, which is like a really weird. T- and that's. That's what confuses me, I think about because Marxists talk about this all the time, and I've never had one of them actually like sit down and try and explain it to me, but they always throw out like, well, you know, X is this class, but they have this class character, and it's like, yeah, well, really, you're just saying that you you seem to just be saying that you like that thing, but it it's otherwise grouped in a uh, on a thing that that you would um you know, like you're supposed to like according to theory or whatever. So like, yeah
0: theory of, of class that I go by is like, instead of it being someone's relation to the means of production, which like doesn't even make sense because like Steve Jobs doesn't own Foxconn, but he's a capitalist. He's like the capitalist mm-hmm. that makes the iPhones. Um, well, yeah. he was because he's dead now. But like, <coughs> yeah, my, my theory of class is like your class position is determined by your relation to the state because... Mitch McConnell would not be bourgeois under a Marxist class ontology, but mm-hmm. I think Mitch McConnell is the upper class because he's in Congress, and Congress has a very like direct relation to the exercise of state power.
1: So I, would I
0: don't would know that you, make Mitch McConnell like a, a
1: lumpenprole, <laughs> arguably, because he's not really a worker because he's not producing anything either? So like, it does does that mean that politicians are like lump and pearls? Well, the thing with lumpenproles is uh
0: that is actually like the classic reactionary marxist term because Oh yeah, no,
1: it's super super ableist. Like I'm a lumpenprole yeah. cuz I'm disabled. Like that's that's the fight I've been getting in with these guys while um while right. they've been having yeah, yeah cause issues I, with you cuz I've been jumping in there a little bit and like that's the, the accusation yeah, like last I've week, a times.
0: I um last week I RT'd or quoted yeah. something that mentioned lumpenproles and someone was like yeah, you know, that's like, uh, like they're talking about like sex workers and criminals and disabled people. And I was like, what? I thought it was just like proles who didn't have class consciousness. But yeah, if you look it up, that's oh, yeah, literally no, what it, it is. It's, it's like they're just throwing all of the people they consider like degenerate scumbags into a category that can't possibly be class conscious.
1: Right, exactly. And I mean, that's, that's, um, like I mean, yeah, it's got it's got those very deeply ableist roots, and and it comes mm-hmm. back to that thing of like, you know, they wanna they wanna say that classes are this way, but then when they wanna make an exception, they, they come up with a new terminology to to like vilify that person, because like the the idea behind the London proletariat or whatever is that somebody like me is inherently going to work against class interests or whatever because I'm disabled, um, mm-hmm. and queer, which like doesn't make any sense to me. That like that's my whole motivation for like, liberatory politics is that I'm oppressed along yeah. those lines. Like, even <laughs> even if I were a poor worker and I weren't those things, like, I would probably still be kind of a chud, I'm not gonna lie. Like, that was the only thing that kicked me out of it was was the fact that I, I'm incredibly poor and that that's because I can't work, um, at least not as much as I, I might like to, and um, also because, you know, I'm, like, horribly queer, so of of course ideal yeah, well, like, sex with and that, that's who, really like, radicalizing yeah
0: sex workers who like typically work under men who like take most of like they're the, they're the classic example of like surplus value yeah like way more than a factory worker is because like a factory worker you you have to be in a group of people there's people that support factory workers that aren't directly engaged in production um and, and so like, it makes sense that you don't get the full product of your labor as a factory worker, because the full product of your labor is not the thing that you're making. It's just a small part of it. Whereas mm-hmm. like, if you're, if you're a sex worker, the product of your labor is like the entire thing. And you have this, like, you know, a pimp or the strip club owner just like skimming off the top for the privilege of you doing work. Yeah it's just crazy
1: it almost became. no i know
0: it's oh hi oh hi <laughs> oh hey john
2: this this part became interesting because i was like thinking on it and uh it's just, it's almost like a like especially i guess in cases of pimp from 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 what i i've read about like the a lot of the relationships like the pimp is like a mini state
1: yeah, yeah. that's a that's a fantastic way to put it yeah because I mean, all they're doing is is establishing a concept of property, and enforcing that, and, yeah, and demanding what what is effectively taxation, right? Yeah. Yeah,
2: protection and everything.
1: It's yeah, it's, but also like yeah, yeah, if they didn't exist, then like you know, arguably they'd be able to protect themselves better. Like so, yeah.
2: Were you guys uh, talking about Marx's definition of lumpenproletariat proletariat uh, before? A little bit, yeah. Yeah, I got, like, the tail end of it, um, but I I don't know if it's because I've never read, like, too much of Marx, or if it's the way that I've interpreted uh, Lump and Proletariat from reading, uh, was it Luc- Rosa Luxemburg, but she always made it sound like Lump and Proletariat was, like, uh, were, like, the, like, like, chuds, like, uh, like, not, not, like, um
0: like, apolitical people, is that? Not, not,
2: not just apolitical people, but people who are just, like, vehemently against their own interests, as we would put it. Like, okay. so they well, would be, I... like, anti-union people. Um, or, no, even the way Rosa put it, it might even be slightly different. Because it's, like, no, uh... I... Oh, sorry. Go ahead.
1: Oh, no, no, no you're fine. Uh, I But, like, I, I definitely have heard that definition, because when I first radicalized, that was... Because you know, when I when I came into it, um, I maybe that's the definition that I'm hearing people
0: use. Because that's that's basically what I thought it was, but it has a lot of like degeneracy shit in the like official definition. Oh
1: yeah,
2: people the the roots of
1: it are. Yeah, like, the roots of it are absolutely ableist, but I mean, the, the definition of, like, a, a worker who works against class interests, I think, is the sort of sanitized modern version, because, like, that's what I got when I first radicalized from Marxists, but, like, I, I I still think that ultimately that that winds up being a problem, because, like you don't want to just write those people off as like inherently against there's nothing intrinsic to a person that means they work against their class interests they're being incentivized to do that by something so like rather than than blame it on the lumpenproles like you should be looking at the source of of class antagonism and trying to break that you know and that's always going to be coming from capitalists so like
0: so in
1: vilifying the lumpenprole
0: apparently the the german i just looked up the etymology for it uh it says from german lump which means ragamuffin
1: yeah oh, yeah it so it is be- like rag people yeah well and that's what it is like I- in the original definition it's like somebody who doesn't work you know somebody who's who's disabled and doesn't work a sex worker etc or somebody who doesn't traditionally like fitting the traditional definition of work and the idea is that they're going to constantly work against class consciousness but i think more modern marxists have have at least tried to move that into like okay the the guy who is getting totally fucked over but is also wearing a mega hat or whatever, you know.
2: Yeah. But I also I also feel like th- there might be like like uh like, like gang members could probably easily fall into lumpen proletariat. Mhm. And it yeah. would make sense because Yeah, criminals
0: are in there for sure. Cuz when yeah.
2: Rosa Luxemburg writes about lumpen proletariat, she she said that probably the lumpen proletariat will be uh, even more radical in a moment of revolution <laughs> than even the people who would agitate for it now.
1: Oh yeah. Which well, is, see, like, and I, I think that holds. Yeah.
2: Yeah, she had definitely had a a big like like there would be redemption for the lumpen proletariat in in the place of a revolution, and and mostly like her idea was like in the moment of revolution there there would be more taught about what it what a revolution actually means than anything. Like you know, then years and years of agitation. So. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah.
1: So yeah. I mean, so I. I the reason we we're on this topic, with, by the way, yeah. John,
0: is uh, I was just talking about the the CIA tweet.
2: <laughs> God damn it! It's like the uh, whole week. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm
1: really hoping this becomes like a format meme. That's why I I try to do. You know, like, Chloe and I were talking about our various versions of that. Like, I did the, I run the anti-Naruto running wall or whatever at Area 51 version of it. Yeah. And, yeah, like, it's, uh... I, I just, I really want to see that become a format joke so bad. And the, the most hilarious part about that is I think a lot of Marxists like that tweet when, when I made it because I thought I was, like, mocking you or something. And then, <laughs> like, looked through my timeline because I had, like, 26 likes on it or something and I looked at it again the next day and it was, like, 19. And I'm like, oh, they... They definitely, like, looked at my politics and blocked me after that.
0: Okay, so I actually uh, went and uh, got the original tweet uh, just because I I totally forgot. uh, There was another part of it that really set them off. Uh, But the the tweet is, Marxists can't stand that I used to work for the CIA. The working class is diverse and includes more than just the idyllic soot-covered factory worker. (laughs) And they they hated that second part, the idyllic soot-covered factory worker, which, like... First of all, in my defense, I thought that idyllic meant, like, platonic ideal and not oh, yeah. like picturesque. No, it does not. Yeah. So that was that was or wrong. It, my bad. But it, it doesn't
1: even just mean picturesque. It specifically means picturesque in the sense of, like, a, a field or, like, open yeah. wilderness. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I thought that was intentional because I thought you were throwing out a little bit, like, this is how I'm making it, obviously, a joke. Um, I, what was really funny about that, though, is I saw somebody jump on that. And was like, "How dare you glorify the proletariat? Because they have it the worst." And I'm like, "Well, that's a definitely different take than, than typically you folks have." Like, and then you saw, I saw a bunch of Marxists jump on, it and they're like, "What the fuck is wrong with you?"
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: What's the What's the original reference?
1: Oh, there, w- there wasn't. I think Ryan yeah, was. There just was no reference. Like it was just be yeah. just
2: doing the the the, the most brain breaking bit of all time. Yeah. <clears> well,
0: they got so you mad. Know, uh, all these, yeah, all these people were mad at me over the uh, tweet where I said political economy has jargon in it, which yeah. is just objectively true. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, if you want to argue that, you're you're fucking just fucked. Oh yeah. But. Yeah, so they kept like replying to my tweets cuz I I like tried to move on cuz I didn't care about the argument. I never cared in the first place. They were like trying to engage me in like a serious debate. And yeah. uh I was like, "No, you're obviously trying to get engagement for your dumbass followers. So I don't well, want the- to give that to you." And so yeah. they kept replying to my tweets to try and get me to engage with them. And so I just was like, "You know, I'm just going to fuck with them." So I just posted something like
1: that. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Well, I actually got into it with one of them the other night, because, I, like, I don't know if you were awake for that, Ryan, but, but one of them got onto it and started fighting with you a little bit. And I, I came in, like, all geared up to troll, and then I actually, like, kind of gave myself pause and was like, you know what, I'm going to try and make this a sincere conversation. I, I'm just going <laughs> to see where they're coming from and, like, engaging with them. And, like, what, what offends me about it is that they keep trying to be like, well, you're just calling workers dumb. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm the dumb worker here. Like I struggle with yeah, jargon. Someone said that to me so yesterday. Saying, yeah, right. And it's like so, so. So saying that that like you're calling workers dumb for saying that people struggle with jargon is ultimately saying that I'm dumb for struggling with jargon. Like they're the ones who are arguing that like I'm the idiot here. You know, you're just saying like maybe we should make this more accessible to people, which I I don't understand why anybody would have a problem with. But it I, this this comes up time and time again, and like the reason I've moved. And sort of out of the left and, and become, you know, more of a non-left anarchist or whatever it is like, because this reaction keeps happening. Like, I remember being uh, yeah, they, in an SRA They totally discussion. proved
0: the original point correct, because, like, yeah. they kept saying that I didn't understand the words that I was using. And it's like, yeah, that's the fucking point that I'm making.
1: <laughs> exactly, <laughs> it's right? It's like,
0: they're really yeah. obscure like, terms that no one understands unless you read an 800-page book.
1: Yeah, well, and so, like, I, I remember this discussion I got into once in the answer. It wasn't even really a discussion. It was like, so, so you know, as an organization, like, they're there partially to, to talk to liberals and b- swing them a little bit left, you know? And, yes. like, um, so you'd expect that when a liberal comes in. Their reaction would be, "Hey, buddy, like, let's help you out and talk about this." But like in practice, that never has been what happened in in the the what I had seen of it, and that's that's what turned me off so much about it in a lot of ways. Because like I remember this this one day we had a guy come in and be like, "Hey, look, I don't know what this socialism shit is. I I don't do politics, but I'm worried." And, like, I am I tend to be more liberal, but I grew up in, like, a, a you know, they they use the phrase socially liberal, fiscally conservative, which, of course, pisses people <laughs> off. And and immediately people came in and were like, fuck you, go kill yourself. You're an ANCAP. I hate you. Get the hell out of here. And it's like, really? Like, somebody comes to you and is like, please tell me about this, I'd like to know. And your reaction is, go fuck yourself. Like, that's <laughs> that's not working in your interests, you know? Yeah. Yeah, they're just so patronizing. Well, it's it's not patronizing. It's just, like, reactionary moralism. What, what it is is, it's like, people who aren't communists are bad people. Therefore, if somebody's not a communist, attack them, you know? And it's like, yeah. I, I get where that comes from and, like, I understand why why they would see it that way. And, and, like, I always hate making this point because I feel like I sound like a liberal when I'm doing the, oh, well, we should respect Nazis and and let them talk about their point of view. And, like, I, I think yeah, it's Mark,
2: possible...
1: Yeah, yeah right, but I, but I think it's possible to reject people based on that kind of dehumanization, and also still allow yourself to, like, talk to somebody that you disagree with, and maybe change their mind a little bit. And, like, you have to be careful about how you engage with that, absolutely, but just flatly reacting to anybody who isn't a communist as, like, well, fuck you then, is is never gonna work in your favor.
0: Yeah, and I feel like a lot of them like... The, I think the people that do that kind of thing the most are like, like they haven't actually been communists for that long. So it's like, yeah. how dare you not believe this thing that I didn't believe eight months ago? Well,
1: and like, Absolutely, because when I, I first a radicalized... A lot of people became yeah. socialists
0: or communists after 2016. Oh, and yeah. And I've been a communist since 2005. So, yeah. it's really weird for people to be like talking down to me who... I highly doubt we're communists in 2005. Also,
2: why <laughs> I not? Mean, I... It's, it's difficult because, like, it's not exactly <laughs> like we're working out of one, uh, one organization or anything, or anyone's keeping or playbook, the score yeah. here. We're just all short of the Twitter. We're all somewhat anonymous or pseudonymous, uh, if that makes sense. Yeah, uh, yeah. And it's like we can't tell what anyone does and it nor is it like good practice to like put all your shit out there. But it's like, I don't, I don't know. Like like once you get on Twitter, it's like the worst fucking platform. It's a great platform. And I found a lot of like theory recommendations through it. And, uh, you know, you guys, um, so, you know, I've, I've, I've found friends through Twitter, but it's not exactly like it can replace like the necessary community of actually being in an organization or part of a movement that that is actually achieving the things that we've been studying so
1: right and i mean that's that's the thing like one of my um you know when i first got into it i was really obsessed with like yeah i'm gonna radicalize people on twitter which is a dumb because like of course i'm not running into anybody who's not a leftist unless i'm like being dragged into something but but also like Twitter is a harassment platform ultimately like there are there are ways to use it that I think are healthy and like I've gotten a lot of good use out of it and and as somebody who struggles to read theory it's been really good because I've been able to get on and have discussions with those people who are willing to have them like talking to you guys um, you know in group chats and stuff has really informed my politics in a lot of ways because um, I've gone through pretty radical shifts uh, just in the last year since really like coming into it and um so like there is a way to use it correctly, but always the, the predominant character of Twitter is going to be harassment. And like that, that's just sort of the emergent property of it as a social network and of social media networks in general is, is to become divisive, which is why they're being pushed on us. Um, yeah, and, and so like that's that's just always something that's gonna happen and we're, we're gonna have to struggle against until we actually create a platform that can carry us in a different way.
0: So I looked up uh, one of the people who was, uh, you know, arguing with me from the original tweet and and being really patronizing and stuff. Um, They've had their accounts since 2010, so I looked at some of their old tweets. They, like, they voted for Ron Paul in 2012. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) I'm, like, 100% correct on this.
1: (laughs) Right, and I mean, that, that even holds true, like, within my personal experience because when I radicalized, like... I, that was what I was doing. Was like, "Fuck you if you're not a communist." And I started going around picking fights. And I think the reason why people do that is because when you when you come into a new identity like that, you really want to assert it. You know, like I did the same yeah, thing like, when uh, I first transitioned. It's like religious. Yeah, numbers. like I, exactly. Yeah, and like when I when I transitioned first, I was like really hyper femme because I was trying to to push myself, you know, into that woman box or whatever. Now and like mm-hmm. get you know, sort of assert myself in that way. And then even when I sort of came into, like, post-leftism or whatever, like, now, you'll note, currently, I'm doing a lot of sort of anti-left tweets, because I'm like, ah, wow, these are my criticisms, and, like, <laughs> I, here's here's how I'm trying to find my network of people that, that agree with me on that, you know? And so, uh, I, I do think that that's in some ways an appropriate reaction, actually, because that is just the way that human beings socially interact, and, like, that's a way for us to to find the people who we want to work with and agree with but like that's got to be balanced by like okay are you actually engaging with people on this because like my my whole thing that I came into on twitter is like as as a liberal um you know before I radicalized I was really terrified of being wrong about everything and I I did that thing that liberals tend to do where like they rely on civility arguments and like et cetera to dismiss Just people and like absolutely yeah right you like, like, like... wrong yeah yeah, like like making really blase statements and relying on civility to sort of push people away until they absolutely know that they can dunk on somebody and then going for that. And like, I was 100% one of those. And, and the big step for, in radicalizing for me, uh, especially because I was radicalized by being ashamed of, by vegans, um, was that just like leaning into that and just being like, okay, I'm going to make statements and they're going to be wrong sometimes and that's going to feel real fucking shitty. But like, out of that, I'm gonna learn something. So now I'll make like a really hot take or even like intentionally make a really hot take hoping that somebody comes in and, and like dunks on me or proves me wrong because then I'll have to consider the alternative viewpoint you know and that's that's not a style that works very well for everybody but I found that because Twitter is a harassment platform and there's no end to that like that's a really good way to sort of engage <laughs> with it is just like yeah no I'm, I'm gonna go in and, and be humiliated because I'm that much of a masochist I guess and so like why not?
3: That's actually like a sociological theory of uh, how to learn. They say that the best way to learn information is to present the wrong information, because then you'll have just people correcting you nonstop.
2: Uh, oh, uh, yeah, haven't I've done that like before. Like sophistry. Yeah.
3: When it, yeah. it it totally works. Yeah.
2: To
3: <laughs> That's yeah. my entire ideology: is just to say whatever I feel, and then if somebody corrects me, cool, I learned. <laughs> And
0: that's, I, I uh, think Cheech that's... talking, by the way. We got we got Cheech on the
3: line. Oh hi. Yeah. Hi. I
1: think that's one of the things that I've really come to um, you know, as I further radicalize, I guess, is like the the way I want to engage with the world now is being sincere. And I think that that the fact that people don't do that with their politics consistently across the board. I mean that's that's an issue I don't think that's unique to any poli- like political affinity. Right wingers do it, the left does it, you know, like everybody has those people who are just not engaging sincerely and like we would probably have a lot less problems in the world if we actually like sat down and hashed things out and allowed ourselves to be vulnerable like that you know like there's something to be said about gaining a lot of strength through vulnerability and and using that as a tool to um learn like when i was engaging with that person who got into the argument with you ryan about mm-hmm. um I, I think particularly the, the the nit that they were picking was was the bourgeoisie equaling up all, upper class um yeah. and like it was really hard to try and engage yeah if they're
0: exactly the same thing
1: well no i mean I, I i do think that there's like jargon has its place and that having technical terminology is good but like again yeah, that, that, it that just, places just sort in of, like, scholarly journals point that, yeah yeah <laughs> But, but like, engaging with them sincerely in that conversation was, like, really difficult. Like, I and especially because I'm a very adrenaline-prone person. Like, there was a time where I was shaking a little when I was typing because, like, it was hard to engage that way. But, like, I feel like they maybe got something out of it and, like, even if I didn't learn anything from them about politics or whatever, like, I feel like I kind of grew as a person in that moment a little bit.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, like, win-win, right?
0: Yeah. I think I grew out of that yeah.
1: interaction as well because...
0: Yeah, I'm, like, even more into my thing of, like, I I want people to, like, understand these things far more than any other, like, aspect of this. Like, I don't want to win an internet fight. I want people to read what I'm writing about political economy or, you know, what I'm saying about political economy and, like, actually fucking learn something instead of mm-hmm. just, like rehashing the same fucking old book from 1860 or whatever like yeah and uh speaking of that (laughs) i think it's time to uh start talking about capital so like i said at the very beginning um i'm reading through capital by marx so so far i've read chapter one sections one and two Um, and, uh, then I had to start recording. So, uh, section one, uh, chapter one, section one, what was that?
3: I grabbed my book so I can read along.
0: Okay. Oh, so chapter one, section one, uh, he starts by differentiating between use value and value, which is exchange value or price or whatever the fuck you want to call it, which apparently according to the Marxists is not the same thing, but you know what it is. So I I disagree with the very, very first paragraph in here. Uh, He says, The wealth of those societies in which the capitalist mode of production prevails presents itself as an immense accumulation of commodities, its its unit being a single commodity. Our investigation must therefore begin with the analysis of a commodity. So I don't agree (laughs) that wealth is an immense accumulation of commodities. I think that's completely
1: incorrect. Uh, well, I mean, I'm an, not actually sure if that's what he's saying, though, because present itself as like uh, it maybe doesn't maybe even present itself that language. way. Okay, I like, mean, yeah, nobody can, continue your that
0: point. nobody thinks that Mark Zuckerberg is wealthy because he has a lot of stuff. He's wealthy because he owns fucking Facebook.
2: Well, I mean, well okay. The, the The way to define that is though, like it's not just that he has Facebook, but the idea behind Facebook and and the thing that he would have is he has. What several million, maybe a billion, just over a billion uh, profiles on there, which means he has personal data and he has the ability, or an, a captive audience, which now would be your commodity, the person, because we're not, we're not purchasing things from him. He's mm-hmm. selling to. Uh, commodities to the advertisers, and so it's that ability to advertise on his platform. He he has a lot of shit. It's not tangible shit like you would be used to. Like you can't say he has all the fucking widgets that he sells to everyone else to to build their factories. He has just the captive audience to sell to advertisers, and maybe the CIA. And he has <laughs> a whole bunch of you know additional yeah, app things mm-hmm. that he can weave into it. I mean, Facebook is a big thing. And, and I, I would say in that case, you just have to would have to reevaluate what a commodity is. But then again, I've only just heard this described uh, just now. Uh, so I'm not I don't necessarily disagree. If you have all the shit, you have all the power. That that seems to track for me. But I mean, yeah,
1: my, I mean, I, I also agree, I, I think, with that statement, because going back to the thing he says, you know, that and they value it based on a single commodity. He's talking about the dollar. So, I mean, like, that's you know, y- well, no, he's talking about products, like
3: yeah, because back in the day, it was very much ownership over production of products.
1: It, like he'll continue, he he is talking well, about. Well, then products. What, what is what is the valuation based on a based on a single commodity? That's what the rest of the chapter is about. Oh, okay. Well, I guess <laughs> so, we'll go into that.
0: Got it's all about how it's based on. The, <laughs> it's like crystallized Hailed. labor. Yeah. yeah, he calls okay. out
3: the commodity as like the the elementary elementary form of. <laughs> What uh, uh, what their collections based off of? So it's ownership over individual mm-hmm. commodities rather than okay. Like, yeah,
1: I, I, I do well think a... that that John has a point though in that that a Facebook profile is a commodity. Like I mean that's because that's what social media is is a commodification of of um, human interaction. We
3: well, have, yeah, but that's not where that's not where the power comes from. Mark Zuckerberg was powerful before they. We're selling people's data. Off. Well, I'm, no, well,
1: but he became more powerful after he got people's data to sell off. He, he
3: became more powerful when he got more money. Well, n- yeah. I would, I would say he got the more money well,
0: though, fa- because he has Facebook's value though. Book. Facebook's value c- comes from investment. It doesn't like it. Nobody knew how Facebook was going to make money just that until like years after it was worth you know, billions of dollars. Yeah. So, hmm. I mean, I remember like, the finance, the, like the wealth is like it's an accumulation of assets and securities. So, it's it's not things, but it's like control over people. And like his stock in Facebook, um, is what basically represents money. you know shares of an organization of people that are that are making a product, but like. Like Facebook's value came from capitalists looking at it and saying, "Ah, yes, I think this will be worth $80 billion. And then, you know, giving them a bunch of investment capital with the expectation that it was going to return a higher amount of, you know, revenue later on.
3: Yeah, it's all speculative finance. It's not control over uh, commodities. It's more control over market share.
0: Yes. Yes, so yeah, so he starts, uh, Mark, starts enumer- uh, sorry. Mark starts enumerating the properties of commodities. Uh, it has quality and quantity and use value and exchange value, blah, blah, blah. Uh, he says use value is an intrinsic property of a thing and not a relational property, which is what I think it is, because like, you know, something is useful more or less to different people at different points in their life like you know uh, a a tool that uh a skilled worker uses is is useful to that worker but to a you know someone who doesn't have that skill it, it's like useless you know like a like a linux computer is has less use value to like a, just everyday person because they don't know how to use it and so i i think use value is relational and not not intrinsic um He also says it's based on utility, which is, that's like a, it was a very popular philosophy back in the 19th century, but uh, utilitarianism has been like pretty thoroughly discredited as a, like a scientific theory. Um, And he very explicitly says that he wants this to be part of a quantitative analysis. So he says, when treating of use value, we always assume to be dealing with definite quantities, such as dozens of watches, yards of linen, or tons of iron. The use values of commodities furnish the material for a special study that to the that of the commercial knowledge of commodities. So I think, like uh, one of the things that all the Marxist guys were saying is like, I'm um, I'm focusing too much on like the quantitative aspect of Marxist theory, and everything he said was like just supposed to be like qualitative and relational and all this stuff and i think that's like a popular way to um defend Marx when you know that like the labor theory of value doesn't really work and is like widely regarded as like not a very credible theory (laughs) um just to say like oh yeah it's not supposed to be quantitative it's supposed to be just describing things yeah go ahead
2: No, and I was about to say, uh, Capitalist Power also puts that forward because at the time, uh, even scientific inquiry was more qualitative than it was quantitative. And he's not exactly any less thorough than scientists at the time. It's just that no one truly had quantitative theories, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah.
3: That, that's kind of funny because that that line of uh, defense over uh, uh, a subject reminds mm. me so much of people nowadays with, like, the Bible, where they're like, well, I know it says 6,000 years, but it was yeah. just like, you know, like, it, seven days? No, it was like seven God days, which is like thousands of millions.
0: <laughs> really so, depends like, on how you define year. <laughs> yeah,
3: it's yeah. just like, okay, no, just say it's wrong and say, like, focus on the other part of the book.
2: Like, God. Yeah, and, it's, and then also following, like, the whole capitalist power summary that, uh, that I remember, um, Neo-Marxism was the attempt to actually finally begin to define a lot of, like, the terms he put forth there um, to actually make it, like, a quantitative theory that you could actually have units that are measurable in the real world. Um, right. So... I mean I I understand like where Marx's would come from when saying like yeah it's not meant to be taken literally. Um and like I, I I sort of agree with it. I I don't know. Like I I sort of like uh like the Marxist uh qualitative theory which is describing things which are sort of true. Um I don't know, it's like you know a whole little bit of truth in everything. But then again, uh I, I haven't been getting reamed by uh, Marxists for, like, the past <laughs> week, so.
3: Ryan has been up on the cross for the
1: past week. He's yeah. Yeah,
2: that's why I don't argue with Marxists. I go, like, far left field whenever I want to pick, like, a good, like, Twitter spat. It's so but, fun, though. But, but But then again, it's like, like, you argue with, like, like actual Marxists, and then I argue with the people who created like the American capitalist party.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what I usually like to do. I usually like to argue with libertarians because they're yeah just no libertarians are insane. much more
1: fun to piss on. Yeah, Marxists they're all so are dumb. Fun.
3: Marxists are fun as long as you don't like entertain their semantics arguments because that's all they <laughs> all it boils down to is they they just want to argue over what words mean. And not actually like what the theory implies, or like what to actually do. They just want to yell at you for saying bourgeoisie when you meant uh, uh, petite bourgeoisie or some fucking shit.
1: I I think that that's a little bit of an overgeneralization because like even though I'm I'm like thoroughly anti-Marxist or whatever, like I I do actually have some Marxist friends. Um, And every
3: single one. But just wow, using Marxist as a
1: token—that's pretty fucked up yeah i know right um i i uh i do think that like you know there's some of them who are trying trying to engage that with a little more and like the broad strokes though very much it's like they're they're rooted in these platonic concepts and like i think that's the issue is like mark says class is this way therefore that is how class is and always will be end of story period you know and like it, it's just sort of a rehashing of, of great man theory over and over again while they, they keep claiming that they don't respond to that, is it's just like you've got these canonized set of authors, and so whatever they say is the, the immortal science and must be obeyed, you know, and, and that's where the criticisms of Marxism as, like, a cult come from, is that it, it really is adherence to these particular definitions at the expense of, of you know, actually having an analysis of what's going on.
2: To be fair, Marxist-Leninism is the immortal science.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Marxist-Leninism.
1: Um,
0: yeah. So, he talks about exchange value, and he says exchange value is a relational property to other commodities, but it's also intrinsic to each commodity. So, like, each commodity has an exchange value in relation to every other commodity. And uh, that value is a proportion that makes their use value equal. So if a lighter is twice as valuable as a pencil, then a lighter will have twice the exchange value of a pencil. So the, the quote is, therefore, first, the valid exchange values of a given commodity express something equal. Secondly, exchange value generally is the only mode of expression, the phenomenal form of something contained in it, yet distinguishable from it. God, I fucking hate his writing style. It's so fucking There was like eight positives yeah. in that one sentence.
2: Mm-hmm. I, I, I sort of understood your summary, but I can't understand what he what you actually quoted. So. It's,
0: I think it's a little easier if you read it, but it's still like, that is not good writing, I'm sorry. It's just really bad. I mean, he's but, trying oh, to yeah. say
2: very specific things that I can sort of yeah. understand, and like, I can sort of understand like, if, if, like, would, it, would a value represent the most you could actually make of something? Like, you know, there's a right way and a wrong way to use a lighter. Like, if I'm not using a, a, a if, like, I'm using a lighter, lighter like a flashlight, I'm not going to get very much value out of that. And if people only think to use it that way, like, its use value would go down. But, like...
3: Well, I, it goes back to what Ryan was saying earlier, that it, de- it depends on the person that's using it, too. Like, if if you smoke cigarettes, you're going to think that that lighter's worth ten pencils. But if you (laughs) don't, and you just write in your journal all day, you're not going to... You're going to think that the lighter's worth half a pencil. Like... Right. It's it's so variable, and to try to base a science... Like, try to come up with a scientific fucking theory based on, like, stuff that's just, like, arbitrary. Yeah, I guess it's
2: very difficult, because at the end of the day, like... Like, none of our, like, governments are, like, very much determined in a scientific way. So to say that there could be an ultimate scientific explanation almost becomes a moot point. Because it's 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 like, you know, there's as much science into this as there are coming up with the house rules to a Monopoly game. Which, essentially, this, this is. You know, we, yeah. we come up with house rules. And, I mean, it's expressed itself in a certain way. And you can create... These sort of like meta rules for capitalism, uh, mm-hmm. wherever it it expresses itself. But at the end of the day, like each unique, uh, each unique iteration. expression. Yeah, each iteration of capitalism. I'm sure capitalism looks a lot different today than it did in like the 1950s, than it did in the 1800s when Marx was actually writing this. So like it becomes a different, bit different. Like and a lot of his stuff just, still does make sense on the whole but it's like you know different sets that's of, like a scientific guess, model it just doesn't work yeah well and
1: that that's my issue i think and and why i sort of drifted to like anti-communist bit here um it is like it to me it just looks like repackaging capitalism like capitalism says you know here's how we establish value and, and communism says no actually this is what value is my issue is that we're establishing value at all because it's a subjective thing. Like that's not a thing that we should even attempt to measure because you you literally can't measure it except on an individual level, you know?
0: yeah, my my big problem is there, like, I mean, ultimately, what he's trying to do here is explain how prices work. That's what exchange yeah. value is. I know people are trying to tell me that that's not the same thing as exchange value, but if you think that, go fuck yourself. Shut the fuck up. You're wrong. <laughs> um, he's trying to explain <laughs> prices and he makes the exact same uh i guess maybe not mistake but the like he makes the same assumption as as capitalists do which is that prices are based on value but prices are not based on value they are completely separate from value value is something that you uh like that a person like projects onto something based on like themselves like like things about themselves you know just like all the stuff that we've been talking about, you know, like how something is useful to you or is not useful to you. Like your mood at a particular moment, like it could be like, it could have nostalgic value that's value, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't affect the price unless you're like the person selling it to like directly to another person. And then like, you'll be less likely to, to part with it because it has nostalgic value. But like, that's just not what prices are. Prices are not, they aren't based on value. They are based on like power struggle. What you mm-hmm. because
3: <laughs> like, look at rent.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Look mm-hmm. at rent. Yeah, and and I'll get I'll get into it later. But like, like commodities, as in the actual definition of like the actual term commodity, not just like as a synonym for product. Fidget
1: like, spinners. well, and and like, also the actual I mean- term
0: commodity means something that is, like, fungible, like, it can be completely inter- it's completely interchangeable with another. So, like, cloth is a commodity, but a coat is not a commodity because not every product. coat is interchangeable with one another. Ah. So, and and, like, commodities are priced lower because commodities... Like, because someone who's looking to buy a commodity can go to anyone that's selling a commodity, whereas someone that is looking to buy a coat they might want a specific coat and product differentiation mm-hmm. is like the entire like way that you like increase the price of something. So, so commodities
2: yeah. are inherently differentiated from their end state as like a product.
0: Yeah. Like, well, I mean, they don't, they, they can still be end products. It's just that like they, the, the thing that makes them commodities and not just goods is that they are interchangeable with any other commodity.
2: Uh. Mm-hmm.
3: It's like you'll see them on a fiat market, like how you can buy resources, like raw resources and shit. Like, yeah. you, like There's a commodity market that you can buy futures in uh, the prices of like... Uh, like
1: Silver or whatever, yeah. Shit.
3: Cloth. Yeah. Right. Linen. Yeah, like
0: gold is a commodity.
3: Yeah. Because mm-hmm.
0: gold is interchangeable.
2: I guess they um, also... But
0: it can still be an end product. Like someone
1: will still well, see- just buy gold to have it. But but ultimately, I just kind of re- reject even that because, like, so many of those commodities aren't really fungible. Like, if you go into to something like linen, um, like how do you compare different qualities of linen? Then you know, because as somebody who like came out of in some ways, um, or right, every yeah, I mean, there's there's the, the levels the of the abstraction industry, that you yeah. have to go through, obviously, right. But like, and, and so coat, like ultimately, yeah,
0: a coat is well, like so far from being a commodity. Like, it's so far from being like completely interchangeable. Like linen, yeah, there's different quality. Like <coughs> mm-hmm. there's different colors. But like a coat is like made for a person. It, like a coat for for John wouldn't fit me. You know?
1: Well and I mean I guess I guess that's what I'm saying though, is this is where commodification falls apart for me. It's like I don't I don't think ultimately you can really like call anything a commodity at that point because because it's interchangeable and because value is subjective even for a commodity. Like what's what's the point in distinguishing that really?
3: Yeah, even gold. Like if you look at gold, the value of which, like if you take it away from like the market, uh, would be way different between electricians and uh, jewelers than it would be between I don't know us. <laughs> well, and also, yeah. even
1: even with raw materials like that. It- you know, like like ores and stuff, you have differences in quality because that affects how they're processed and and purity. You know, might affect the conductivity of something, and so it's just like there really isn't anything that we can flatly say is totally exchangeable with itself. I feel like, unless unless you're directly comparing, you know, this particular yeah,
3: gold the, with
1: yeah, because
3: yeah. gold when you're when you're talking about like the price of gold, you're talking about the price of like pure gold, like not yeah the um,
2: uh, the impurities. Like, I think Fair. like like the ultimate like thing that that, that like holds his back, and th- this would expect uh, go further. I, d- I don't know if you would say this is like an. Uh, I guess this would be like epistemological, if I'm using that correctly. If I'm mm-hmm. remembering correctly, if like remember like uh, like whole like Descartes' whole thing is like there's not going to be an ultimate uh frame of reference to know when knowledge is truly correct.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: So like uh like when we we're like, only talking- justified
0: true belief. Like you can say that you're justified in believing that it's true, but it's not like you can't say that it's definitely true forever.
2: Yeah, so like yeah. I-, I feel like th- there there is some part of that which which, like, lend credence to it, like, we can always justifiably know that, like, when we're getting paid at work, it's never going to be what we're worth, and we're probably always going to get ripped off. That mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily mean that uh, the surplus value theory is always going to be correct and for the right mm-hmm. reason. Yeah. Um, for sure. And, and like, and I, for... I definitely
1: don't think that anything has to be correct 100% of the time to be true, because that, that, that would, again, be nothing, you know? Yeah.
2: and 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 thus, like... The only thing that that really makes us pissed off at, at Marxists is, is that they they call it like, uh, as you said earlier, the immortal science. When really and truly, like it's not that, hundred uh, percent because we've just spent like the last like ten minutes going over, like even uh, on a base level when um, when even ores themselves. Uh, will not have the same value, uh, use value, <laughs> or exchange value, a- in all its different ways. So, like we we picked it apart a little bit, um, but at the same time, like there may be times when uh, this, the 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 theories we've just discussed may look more true than false, and there may be times when they look like more false than true. Uh, yeah, that's just me. I don't know.
1: Well, I I think I think that's a good way to put it. Um, because I, I mean, that's the nature sort of of dialectics is that we have to synthesize information from from multiple sources and multiple theories, and like that's great. And I guess that is mo- ultimately what pisses me off about Marxists is they want to do it all from one line, and then they'll they'll talk about how they're doing true dialectics or whatever at the same time, but but solely rely on this, you know. And I guess that's that's the, the frustration I have with most. Um, I, I think the term that we went with was establishmentarianism um, or establishmentarian politics as well, is that people want to see it all from a singular lens. And, and so they dismiss anything that doesn't fit into that. But like, it, you yeah, should that's, be what, really, that's what I really hate yeah. about
0: Marxists is they, they will tell me that I'm wrong about something because that's not what Marx said. Like, who right, exactly. I say. mean, that's... I don't care.
1: <laughs> I remember having a conversation. I got, I got back on Facebook recently, and I ran into a friend of mine from high school, and she's an ML now. Um, and uh, we got into it right off the bat. And like I was trying to be friendly, and I was still sort of on the left Unity page when I was talking to her. So I, I made a joke, and I was like, oh, what is, what is it you guys say? Ruthless criticism of all that exists? And she was like, yeah. And I'm like, you know, to be honest, like I've, I've always really appreciated that. And like I try and, and bring that into it. And immediately she launched into well, also, but once you get really into the theory, that's when you realize that you should never criticize China. Oh my! God. And I'm like, <laughs> how how do you go from ruthless criticism of all that exists immediately into but we shouldn't criticize these things?
2: Well, at the at the, at the same wow. time, to defend China a little bit because uh, not that I uh, that there's a little red book in my back pocket right now. Uh, there might be, but you don't guys don't know that. Um,
0: of wow, John canceled. <laughs>
2: yeah, I'm landlord. canceled. I mean, I'm canceling. I'm taking my landlord with me, but at the same <laughs> time, um, like I guess that there's that idea that like I'm, I'm assuming that she's American and that she's not your, like your, your Chinese best friend who's native and also participating in Chinese politics actively. Oh no, that, she's white as hell. Yeah, but <laughs> like like the idea that i guess there is that like when when you go about like criticizing china as as you're making these statements it also s- does a little bit of the work for the state itself because the state department and i think we've seen this in any way possible will take the opportunity to criticize china from any method no matter how how hypocritical it is that they'll are uh, you know criticize china on on prison camps despite the fact that we will have bigger uh prison populations on immigration uh things despite the fact that uh we obviously have a our own immigration ideas Uh, they'll criticize them on uh, their treatment of Muslims. Yeah, their yeah. treatment of Muslims. Criticize despite bold. the fact we have a Muslim bands, so I, I, I well, yeah. it goes with the idea that like if you're criticizing a specific thing about China, it just gives like wiggle room to like this sort of like nationalist uh, ties, and I mean, like I understand like you should criticize states at all uh, when you get the chance because um, states really aren't good. Uh, on right. the whole as I've come to, yeah. come to
1: understand yeah. like well, I, 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 I get, get that and yeah.
0: sorry right. go I, ahead, go I, ahead. Really wanna, I really want get, to uh, get through the notes so oh yeah go for it returning to the exchange value stuff so he says that exchange values are basically like an equivalence of use values so you know as we said like a lighter is twice, worth twice as much as a pencil and like to me this is like peak economist stuff this is like like I when I read this I felt like I was reading economics in one lesson or something like that He's coming up with a model and thinking like just thinking that because the models like internally consistent and like logically makes sense that it's good enough on its own to be like the sole subject of study and it doesn't have to be tested against anything like we we already went through the like all the objections to like exchange values equaling use values and all that stuff so I, I won't go too much into that but like yeah this is this doesn't seem that much different than like what an economist would write about capitalism in in the sense of like how he's actually trying to construct knowledge. And it just bothers the shit out of me. Um, and so he, he keeps going with this. He says, um, a simple geometrical illustration will make this clear. In order to calculate and compare the areas of rectilineal figures, we decompose them into triangles. But the area of the triangle itself is expressed by something totally different from its visible figure, namely by, the ha- by half the product of the base multiplied by the altitude. In the same way, the exchange value of commodities must be capable of being expressed in terms of something common to them all, of which thing they represent a greater or less quantity. So he's saying that, like, just like the same way that uh, you know uh, a parallelogram can be decomposed into triangles, commodities are a decomposition of the entirety of human production, and so they must have like a total value that we can deduce from the added up values of commodities. That's how I'm interpreting this. And I like, first of all, I don't see how this could refer to anything other than price, but also like, I just don't see how this makes any sense. Like you can't just aggregate things and, and expect them to work by, you know, like just, Oh yeah. It's like the the same, uh, it's the same thing, but like a lot of it now. Like aggregation doesn't work that way. I don't know. It's just I, I hate this. I really hate it.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, I I guess that's what I was going into earlier when I was talking about how it just seems like it's repackaging capitalism is, is and maybe that's not accurate. It's more just like I reject economics wholesale because like it's just this these weird hodgepodge system of measurements that are trying to, to oversimplify how we relate to one another and how we place value on objects. But like that falls apart entirely when it encounters like an actual human being, you know, because that's not yeah. how our decision making processes work. And so economics just ultimately, no matter what economic theory it is, is going to fall apart because it's a gross oversimplification of human nature.
0: And and speaking of falling apart uh, when it meets a real human being. Uh, so, he, he you know, he talks about labor value and he says labor should be measured in hours. And defines commodities as products of labor. And, but so to step around the problem where, you know, whenever you mention labor theory of value around like some conservative guy, they're like, oh, so if I make mud pies all day, then I'm creating a lot of value because I'm doing a lot of labor. So he gets around that by using socially necessary abstract labor. And, like, to me, this makes a huge mistake because. Like, if I'm going to, if I'm a factory worker and my job is to screw a plate into a machine and uh, I have to screw four screws in, then the labor that I'm doing is screwing in four screws. And according to Marx's framework here, if I become faster at screwing in those four screws, I'm actually doing less labor. Mm -hmm. But to me, that's the same amount of labor, you're just doing it in less time. So, like, the labor is, like, the physical action and, like, the steps that you're going through and, like, the thing that you, that you actually do to a product and not the time that you take.
2: Oh, so this is, like, he doesn't account for productivity.
0: Well, he does because he says if if a, worker, uh, uh, if a worker is working on something and then, like, a machine is invented that makes it faster, then the, la- the, the value of the labor goes down.
2: Because they're doing
0: more, and they're doing the same amount of labor in less time.
3: That whole that whole Um, chapter, that whole section is just so asinine because he criticizes exchange and use value uh, upon being like arbitrary and like not good. And then he's when he's coming up with the labor theory, he's like, okay, if you just if you if you dissolve out uh, the exchange value and you dissolve out the 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 utility value, all that's left is the labor value. it's like, so what if you dissolve out the labor? (laughs) Just keep following Mm -hmm. that all the way down, man. (laughs) Why did you just stop there? Because it was convenient for you. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So the the way that he gets around all these issues is he says like, okay, so it's not the actual uh, amount of time that the laborer puts into doing something that determines the labor value. But it's if uh, if we take the average laborer and uh, like if we take the average laborer, the amount of time that they would have to take in on the average to do something, that's the amount of labor value that actually goes into it. So it's like an average of an average in like in the abstract instead of like being in any way connected to reality. So. I don't know. This is basically the end of the chapter and it or the uh, end of the section. And it's just to me so far, not very compelling. Um, so section two, uh, he continues talking about use and exchange value. Um, let's see. I already talked about how much I hate the writing. So I'll skip that part. Uh, he spends the chapter talking about the labor that goes into a coat. Um, it, Really is just going on and on, not making a point. But he finally, almost at the end of the section, uh, makes a point. So he says, coats and linen, however, are not merely values, uh, but values of definite magnitude. That's really confusing. Um, Coats and linen are not merely exchange values, but exchange values of definite magnitude. I think that's what he meant. And according to our assumption, the coat is worth twice as much as 10 yards of linen. Whence this difference in their values... It is owing to the fact that the linen contains only half as much labor as the coat, and consequently, that in the production of the latter, labor power must have been expended during twice the time necessary for the production of the former. Um, So, I mean, I know he's using an assumption here that a coat is worth twice what 10 yards of linen is worth, so I won't focus on the number, but I, I do think that it actually takes more work to make a bolt of cloth than it does to turn cloth into a garment. Because you have to grow the fiber crop, you have to harvest it. And growing the crop means like plowing the field, uh, sowing the seeds, letting letting it grow, watering it, uh, and then you have to harvest it. You have to separate the fibrous material from the plant, spin it into thread, and weave the thread into cloth. And to make a coat, you you cut out pieces of cloth and you sew them together. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think that's and way so- less work. And I think the reason that the the coat is worth more, there's two reasons. One is, and this is the main reason, a coat is just further down the supply chain and there's always value added at every step of production. Like Mm -hmm. something that is an intermediate product is always going to be worth less than something that is a finished product just because someone bought it from you and then did some work to it and, and they have to, by virtue of making money, they have to add value to it. But also... As I mentioned earlier, linen is a, is a commodity, so it's exchangeable. It's interchangeable with other linen, but a coat is like very specific and commodities are worth less because there's more people selling linen, which is largely interchangeable. We already went over the problems with saying that they're completely interchangeable, but like mm-hmm. linen of a certain grade, you can get it from a lot more sources than you can get a specific coat because a coat is like a work it's a work of art and You know, product differentiation is, again, what makes products sell for more. So I don't agree with him here.
1: Well, and and also, I mean, that's that's sort of flying in the face of his earlier statement that labor is is a product of ours because... I, again, the the time consumption that goes into because like I would argue that well, farming isn't he's, as much labor as like factory work. He still works. thinks
0: that he still thinks that yeah. there's less hours that go into making linen than there are in making a coat. He's just saying that like he, he's it's circular logic. He's saying commodities value is determined by the amount of labor that goes into it. A coat is worth twice as much as ten yards of linen. Therefore, linen takes half as much work to make as a coat.
1: Yeah. Right. It's it's making a, a conclusion and then basing like your hypothesis off the conclusion almost. Yeah, it's exactly. like yeah. That's wow. People still so do that, labor that's theory basically evaluate?
0: the end of section two.
2: <laughs> but in a way, even if the coat doesn't take as much labor as the linen, the person who made the coat will always sell the coat more than he bought the linen for, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I yeah. mean, in that part sorta of correct, but like not everything part of that is correct I guess you would say
0: I mean they sell it for more because they yeah. bought the linen and they're trying to make money so they have to sell yeah. it for more because yeah. they have to, it's to not recoup because costs, there's more yeah labor
3: it's not because the magical labor force imbued itself into the linen or the coat yeah right. ideally
0: because... there would be less labor yeah ideally they would they would ha- have almost no labor they would just take cloth that they bought from someone and feed it into a machine and the machine spits out coats <laughs> yeah. You know? <laughs> yep. So uh yeah, so that's that's all I have uh for Capital so far. I'm gonna try to continue uh doing this on the regular episodes. Uh hopefully it won't take as much time because that was like an hour. <laughs> but mm-hmm. um yeah, I'll 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 continue trying to talk about capital.
2: Um I believe so, in you. In a way, um, I would say that this this podcast, since it's made from capital itself, would have to be worth more than the actual capital <laughs> because it's further down the supply chain. Yeah, yeah are we are too, we increasing the labor,
1: like labor value of this podcast by by
0: being on it longer?
1: Like, technically, if I, since if this I go podcast is free, tangent, there's
0: no labor that goes into it. If oh. you really think about it, so.
3: Well, no, but you have to—you have to consider all of the labor went into mining the materials to make the computers and the electronic equipment mm-hmm. that you're recording this on. <laughs> so obviously, according to Marx's immortal science, your podcast must be worth than worth more than all of our
2: computers, microphones combined. Well, I mean, this is just the means of production, right here. So, so go I mean, selling or- your
3: podcast episode for ten thousand dollars.
1: I would, oh, I would say that Cheech is completely good, correct and yeah. uh, my
0: podcast is worth more than your
1: computer. <laughs> also, John, I, I think that's a good point because, like, does that mean that Ryan owns the means of production of podcasts? Does that make him a capitalist? Uh,
2: a social capitalist.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: And now we all uh, have okay, to, that uh, was a
1: bad we, bit. I'm um, sorry.
2: Now we all have to watch Peter Coffin videos to figure out what a social capitalist is.
1: Uh, Alright, I'll, <laughs> I'll see y'all man. in the vampire castle.
2: Ryan stop stealing
1: our <laughs> social capital. Yeah.
0: <laughs> All right. I think that'll wrap it up for this episode. So uh Mouse, John, Cheech, yeah. thank you for coming on and talking, Marks and Twitter with me. <laughs> Thanks for having us.
2: Thanks
0: yeah, this was fun. Wow, beat it a punch.
3: Damn it. <laughs> I'm, I'm broken.
0: <laughs> uh does anyone want to plug anything? I don't, I don't know if you guys have plugs.
3: Uh, yeah, I got really good deals on
2: pot.
1: Uh, um, I'm really pretty. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm. Uh,
2: I don't want to plug. Uh, I want to plug um, having friends. Uh, it's a great thing to do. You guys, everyone should try it sometime. Um, I, I, you know, I'm friends with everyone on this podcast, and uh, it's only it's only made my life better. And that's what I'm going to say.
0: Yeah. No, that's just nice. That's a nice way to end it. Aw.